Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to 3, a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. And it is time for our 2023 Roland Garros draw preview. Novak Djokovic, the number three seed heading into RG. We have discussed Nadal's withdrawal in our previous episode. Uh, There is some additional Nadal news. Uh, He pulled out of Wimbledon, and uh, we are going to touch on Rafa at the very end of this. Uh, We will also discuss Novak Djokovic's major contenders uh, for the RG title. Uh, including Daniil Medvedev. Last time we spoke, he had uh, zero clay court titles to his name. And now he's got kind of a big one, the Rome Masters in 2023. But let's start with Novak. Joel, what is your general feeling on him before we delve into this draw as he's failed to make the semifinals at all three clay events he's played in the lead up uh, to the big one? Not the best of prep for him. I mean, and I harp on this all the time about Roland Garros as the homework slam and not quite as much as he or anyone who really cheers him on would have hoped for, but still some reasonable tennis. We know he's always practicing. We know he's probably going to be, he's fit. He's uh, puts his time in on the tennis. So, and he's won this twice. So I still see him as a, one of the top contenders, but it's not quite as much high-quality, quantity tennis as we'd hoped for? Well, you asked me in the last podcast, Gil, what would I consider a success for Rome? And I said if he got into a three-set match with Holger Runa in the quarterfinals and got in some tense quality points, then we're good. And that's exactly what happened. So um, I I think that the prep is pretty doggone good for him knowing the experience that he has and especially the experience in best of five. And so this is, as John Wertheim tweeted something to this effect yesterday, that um, this is best of five versus best of three. So with regard to Medvedev, um, this is where it sort of separates. And I think my feelings about Djokovic going into Roland Garros are pretty overwhelmingly positive when you consider that it's best of five. I have questions about the elbow at the moment. I, when he withdrew from Madrid, I had said just based on what the last match looked like in Banya Luka, based on the fact he took the sleeve <laughs> off, I, I thought, you know, I'm not sure if it's the elbow or if there's some other reason. But once he got to Rome, we saw a lot of sleeve action. We saw him take painkillers uh, or at least at the very least tablets uh, in the first set uh, against Runa. And the forehand still didn't look quite as big as as we'd as he would want for sure. Uh, it leaves me thinking that that's still a lingering issue. Oh, and the mood. We talked about the mood. 
And to me, that that's got to be that Novak's unhappy with how he's bought, how his body is feeling. Uh, nothing is going to drag down his emotions on the tennis court like not feeling 100% physically. That's what I think we're dealing with here. Well, we saw in Rome, and this will have implications for our discussion about Medvedev, the thicker conditions, not as warm as Paris often is. That That's not helpful for a guy with elbow looking to get match play. I mean, that's not easy to win points and get through matches, or is the ball going to fly as as high and as fast as he hopes for. We'll talk about that with the Medvedev part also, but I think, uh, yeah, again, the, the best of five factor is that other people don't play match, aren't as used to playing matches of that length and playing excellent tennis over such a long period of time. So again, this is why I like, I'm not quite as uh, convinced that Novak got as much clay time as he would have hoped. I respect the the intangibles factor, though, and I don't even know if it's the best of five versus the best of three. It's just like the the added pressure of these are the four tournaments that matter the most, and I think Novak handles that extremely well. Younger, less experienced players, I wouldn't put Medvedev into that bucket, but younger, less experienced players might not handle it as well. Uh, it's funny you mentioned John Wertheim, though. We've always, and I've just endless respect uh, for him. We, uh, one of the things we kind of disagree on is the role of best of five in the success of the big three, uh, because I look at the Masters 1000 kind of count, let's say tally, and it's it's still them, it's it's still those three dominating. So I don't put as much, oh, well, they're just best of five is what really separates them. I, I don't subscribe to that as much. So I just but it's to more that. about it's more about that the others can't do best of five. You know what I mean? It's not that our three can't do best of three. They certainly can. It's that the people that are truly capable of these kinds of runs at these kinds of tournaments are the big three and and very few others. Yeah, this is not about, right, no question. They've, they've won Masters Thousands. And and the case can be made sometimes that a Masters Thousand, we're playing that many tough high stakes matches in a short period of time, has a demand sometimes even different than a slam. I think what's, I think, right, I think Amy hit on it, which is like the experience factor of playing two straight five setters or even three straight or a four setter. And also there's the, and, and or delayed matches or all the factors that contribute to playing 21 sets, winning 21 sets over the course of a major. And that's, I mean, it'd be interesting, be interesting to look at all these other, other players, other contenders and say, <clears throat> how many sets have they won to win their titles? And then you, and you, and you, and you start to see the, the tally and you, and you see the, the gap grows about that. I mean, winning six, well, usually if you're winning uh, Masters 1000, if you've gotten a bye, you're winning five, so you're winning 10 sets. You know, it's just a whole different, and, and those matches, I've said matches have so many different ebbs and flows to them. Yeah, I agree on the on the experience thing. I mean, if it's going to be Runa and Djokovic at, at the end of Roland Garros, like the, the mentalities there are miles apart. I mean, for one guy, it's, years and years and years and years of experience to draw back on and for the other there's none so i i do think that matters last point i want to make before we get into novak's draw another thing i've been thinking about one the factor of of the elbow but then okay what does that mean 
We've seen Djokovic in recent times famously win the Australian Open twice with injuries. Mm-hmm. Wimbledon 2021 was another tournament. I don't really think he played his best. I thought he was pretty tight throughout the entire event just because he was feeling the weight of going after the, the Grand Slam after winning the first two majors of the year. Didn't matter that he didn't play his best. He still won Wimbledon and he did it somewhat easily. I just think on clay courts, he needs to be 100%. He can't win this at 80%. Given the contenders and given the extra challenges that that Clay represents, my opinion is that if Djokovic isn't 100, that he's not winning. Oh, yeah, I disagree. Only because there's a certain guy who's not in the field this year. (laughs) It's a much more open field without Rafa there. Um, and we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, the pick du jour seems to be Runa and the guy is a sensation. I mean, he's a tremendous player, but there have been issues in longer matches with cramping and, um, even, you know, staying mentally disciplined in some of these longer matches. Of course, there's Alcaraz, the number one player in the world, the number one seed in the tournament. Um, he was my pick. Not that I'm a picker, but um, I do write this article and I, I have to say who I think is going to win. You're um, a forced but, picker. Exactly. But that is no by, I mean, I'm no way, shape or form feel good about it. In fact, I was just talking to some people on Twitter and they were like, I'm picking Novak. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good pick. So, um, you know, the, the, the whole thing with um, best of five is just that it's not just physical, what you were saying. I mean, it's not just, um, yeah, it's not just physical. It's also mental. Um, and that's that's really what Novak has over the field. Oh, but I would say that the, uh, okay, Novak now probably can't get away with 80%. If he needs 100%, you know, all these things, it's like, how do we even know? You know, we, we talk about this and I think, I think, uh, the absence of Rafa is kind of a interest, uh, obviously a major factor for all of the contenders, including Novak. You got to put Alcaraz and Novak as the two favorites for different reasons. One being the guy who's number one in the world and has played quite well all year, and the other, the two-time champ who's won a zillion slams. So, and and then and then the rest. But uh, yeah, it's like it's really. I mean, what a, what an exciting, intriguing Roland Garros it's going to be. All right. Well, for the sake of the, the flow of the conversation will push back the specifics of the draw a little bit further because we're talking about contenders right now. And there's a the most interesting kind of question mark after Rome would be Daniil Medvedev, a guy who from 2020 to 2022 had a win-loss record on clay of 9-7. and seven. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Pretty ordinary, pretty tour level pedestrian. And uh, and then this year he comes 
he comes in and, and loses in a quarterfinal decisively in Monte Carlo. In Madrid, he loses to Karatsev in the third round. Had never won a match in Rome, 0-3 in his career. Mm-hmm. And he wins the thing. And he doesn't take advantage of some kind of draw opening or anything like that. No, he beats Tsitsipas. He beats Runa. Outside of Alcaraz and Djokovic, you know, those are two of the top gun contenders. How real is Daniil Medvedev's threat now? Was that uh, was that something we'll look back on and we'll think, hey, that was weird. He's not really that good on clay, and he and he won Rome that one time. Or is this is this is this for real that Medvedev is going to contend for these titles, including? He says he says he's not a good player on clay. He wanted to think, and I think of Medvedev when I look at the evolution of his career. And we're going to go back to that 2019 U.S. Open where he turned the crowd around from hating him to loving him in about 10 days. And I think Medvedev's career is a series of self-talks. You know, it's like this guy, he does these self-interventions and he says to himself, huh, and he needs to kind of rational it out because the the notion also, the notion of a contemporary player today saying they're not good on clay is different than the age of grass and fast hardcourt where serve volleyers like Pete Sampras had to, yeah, I'm going to play well on a clay now. The game is mostly built around ground stroke, baseline-based tennis. So a guy as good from the ground as Medvedev, who thinks he can't play well on clay, probably needs to have some conversation with himself or his coach says, wait a second, what's going on here? I'm really fast. I've got a great backhand. I don't miss. What's this about? And then figure some things out. And I think it'd be interesting to learn them, whether it was maybe, maybe it's equipment, maybe it's just pure attitude. Rome helped by the um, lower bouncing, thicker conditions in a certain kind of way. The ball maybe not jumping up as high as it might in sunnier conditions. So a series of things. I mean, look, a guy who's had as great a career as Medvedev already is certainly going to be a legitimate contender at any tournament he plays, regardless of surface. So now we're going to see, okay, is this your is this your continued clay court building year? And you're the second seed at Roland Garros. Novak and uh, Alcaraz are in the other half. So let's let's see. I I like what uh, Joel said about um, the fact that he's a baseliner and clay is so baseline. Um, that's why he's good. And he, he really he's lying to us. He's really is an all surface player, um, not an all court player, but an all surface player. Uh, but is he going to do well at Roland Garros? You know, if you look over his career uh, records at the Grand Slams, the matches that he's played, he still, at his age, has not played a ton of five-set matches over the course of his career. So I think he's a little unproven. Um, and I think that it depends on the weather in Paris, which believe it or not, can be a really big deal, um, because the margins are so thin at, at the elite level that drier conditions can benefit the server ever so slightly. And then that can dictate, uh, matches. So, um, I didn't put him to come through the quarters, but I, I agree with Joel. He's obviously a good clay court player. I'm, I'm said, there too. You don't think he's going to reach the semis? No, I didn't have him reaching the semis. Do you have c- center? Right. Yes, I have center. Okay. Oh, see, I did. I, I, I did. I, I did a picks thing too, and I had um, 
I had Medvedev reaching an, and of the top eight seeds, Sinner's the one I'm most concerned with because he's had the least productive clay court season. Nonetheless, this stuff is just, but I think, I think again, the, the more significant thing than like forecasting outcomes is looking at where these guys are. And it's funny, the five setter thing you said about him reminds me at one point, I believe Medvedev was 0 six in five setters. And then he, um, and he won one. And again, I think, I think there's a part of him that never quite initially believes himself. And then he has to, Oh, see, look, I can look, Until, I can until he really does. So then he really That's does. Right. But I also think the difference is he's honest with the media. And while most guys are just like going to, they'll never say the things that Medvedev has said about his clay court chances. I stink on this surface. I don't like this surface. I don't want to play on this surface. You know, most players just aren't going to say that, but I completely agree that that, that dictated the narrative in a, in a pretty outsized way because he was telling everybody, don't believe in me on clay, I'm not good. And we had to use our, our, our tennis brains to kind of figure out, wait, does this happen in modern tennis? Can you really stink on clay and be one of the top three players in the world on hard court? Is that even a thing? No, we don't have clay court specialists anymore. We have fast court specialists, if anything. It's, mm -hmm. it's, so it's almost, it's almost it's a different world than it once was. And I think Medvedev saying that, you know, reminds me a little bit of the ways uh, Rafa would sometimes uh, lower the bar around his own expectations. You know, I'm I'm going to be playing here. We'll see how it goes. So Medvedev, he's, he's engaging in this kind of preemptive confession. And I, I also I, think he was uh, motivated to beat Tsitsipas, who is a good clay court, slow court player. Um, you know, he made no bones about the fact that he wanted to beat this guy. Yeah, and and I think he actually thrives in that kind of contentious yeah. space. Uh, I I've also said a lot on Monday match analysis. I think the forehand this year much improved, and that's a big deal on clay. The weight of shot, and also circumstantially, there've been a lot of injuries and health issues the last three years around this time of year. Uh, coming, you know, just around clay court season, Medvedev coming back from the hernia last year, got COVID the year before, so I think that's been a factor uh, in his clay court struggles. By the way, I have him reaching the final. I think he's a bad Ooh. matchup for center. And uh, I think he can wear down Runa physically. So I, I'm afraid of it because I know what it looks like if I'm wrong. It looks like I totally overreacted to Rome. Uh, but <laughs> so be it. Okay. Uh, Djokovic's first round opponent is Alex Kovacevic. I'll talk about kind of what his results have been. And then Amy, you can add a little bit of uh, color to his, his story. He has had a really big year on the challenger circuit on hard courts. In fact, he's got two titles. He won the Waco challenger that's in, in Texas where Baylor plays and he won the Phoenix challenger. Uh, I'm sorry. He didn't win it. He, he reached the quarterfinal of the Phoenix challenger. So he went on a big streak of, of match wins. Cause he came through qualifying there, uh, since hitting the clay, the results have, have dried up. He's Oh, and four on the clay. So he comes into this on a four match losing streak. He's lost to a lot of players who, uh, who are outside the top 100, even one outside the top 200 and the top 500. So it's not a great body of work coming into this match for Kovacevic as far as Djokovic uh, getting a, a tough test here in this first round. But there's a little bit more to it. Yeah, I like this for Novak, and I'll tell you why. This kid 
parents were table tennis professionals who immigrated to the United States from the former Yugoslavia. So he speaks fluent Serbian and idolizes Novak Djokovic. I mean, he's team Nole, Nole, hashtag Nole fam. Um, so I think this will actually be a feel good match for Novak and he'll really enjoy it and leave, uh, the match, the winner, and he will leave in a really good mood and it'll be hugs and stuff like that. So this, for me, this opening match for Novak is near ideal. Yeah, it's right. It reminds me years ago when David Goffin came to Roland Garros and played his hero, Roger Federer. Granted, and these guys have the same roots too. So yeah, that seems like it's going to be a, um, a nice, uh, a nice workout. And there'll be moments of you know, many fine rallies. I mean, no one, no one ever has bad rallies when they play with Novak. They just don't win as many. <laughs> Agreed that it's a, a really ideal start. I, I sometimes I worry. Look, I don't think for Kovacevic the goal is to, or the expectation is to win the match. So I don't know how much it matters. But when the when the idolization thing is happening, sometimes I worry for the idolizer and their ability to to actually. Uh, play their best with killer instinct that that I think is helpful but it's neither here nor there it's uh it's good news for Djokovic basically it's a good draw for him but let's move on uh second round third round I I think there isn't a, there isn't really good luck after that because uh I think it'll be Martin Fucevic in the second round someone who's uh played Novak four times Novak has never beaten him uh, sorry, other way. Fucevic has never beaten Novak, but he has taken three sets in the four matches, which is pretty good. But the biggest thing is Fucevic is very fit. He's somebody who has a far, far better record in his career in best of five than best of three. And it's because I think he uses his fitness to win these matches. So Djokovic is going to need his offensive tools working in a match like that, in my opinion, Joel. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, a second round match at a major. Maybe hope someone like that's a third or fourth round match, but that's a formidable thing. That's going to be that's going to be our first significant look at the state of Novak, don't we think? I mean, the first round match sounds it should be pretty comfortable, but again, Fuksevich, that is kind of what do you call that? A veteran campaigner, isn't that how we write it? I mean, he's absolutely this guy's played a lot of tennis and he's played all the great players and had some. He's been higher ranked. I mean, it's funny we had Struff was a dangerous guy who wasn't seated for a while, and now we have Fuksevich who's not as not as slashing. But he's good. He's good, and that's gonna that's gonna reveal a lot about Novak, where just the overall quality of his game at this point. If uh, if it's Hugo Grenier, apologies for for writing him off. Uh, I've seen a little bit of him. One thing to watch. I'm just gonna throw this out there. Doesn't really hit his backhand uh, cross court very well. It, it all goes down the line. So I think Novak will <laughs> will have some scouting done on that. I've watched Grenier and noticed that. Uh, but I do think Fucevic will win. Don't we all love knowing like a, a, a selection tendency? It's kind of like, it's like, it's funny. You come on a court thinking, yeah, everyone kind of plays and they hit all these shots. And he goes, wait a second. I can't hit it there. Does yeah. not hit it there. It's like, wow, I could just run here, run there. You know, it's like, it's it's like, oh, it's opening a door. It's incredible. And, and Novak, of course, he's going to, he's going to fly through that door if they meet. When would Cecchinato come in? Check his out. old friend. Check yeah. out. <laughs> Let's talk about the third round. That is when it would be. Okay. There are a group of players who are could be interesting in, in this spot. In fact, 
you know, really, really everybody is kind of an interesting name. There's Luca Von Osh playing Cecchinato in the first round. Von Osh is the, the only teenager in the top 100 who Novak played and beat in Banja Luka. Uh, and then there's Davidovich Fikina, who is the 29 seed. He's playing Arthur Fies, French wildcard, who uh, hits huge and runs fast. Lots of shot making. Uh, Davidovich Fikina and Fies will be very, very uh, entertaining. And of course, Fikina has a win over Novak. Uh, Monte Carlo last year. So the third round, there's a lot of interesting things happening. Amy, I'll let you take whatever you want. Oh, I just, if he plays Cecchinato, I think he would be motivated. Like Cecchinato's not going to kick me out of the French two times because he lost to him in 2018. It was an upset. So I don't think that he would let that happen twice. So I'm kind of pulling for that. I agree that ADF is a tough matchup for anybody. Yeah, I think the uh, checking out that was the that was the nadir of the Novak uh, period in that 2017 2018. He lost to him in 2018, and and Novak um, it was a little disconsolate. And then and then everything kind of went 180, and he, he won Wimbledon, he won the U.S. Open, and there he was back on it again. It was fantastic. Um, I'd like to see Davidovich Fokina play him. I, I like watching him play. He's a Gil. You and I have talked about him several times, and. And I saw him play up close at Indian Wells this year. I enjoy watching him play. I'm curious to see how this is where the five-set format is interesting because that's a guy who's a good player. It's just so much energy and shots he brings. It's like, is that sustainable over three, four hours? All these, all that kind of energy. And that's as opposed to Novak who just hums and purrs his way through these matches. Nonetheless, yet another, like the, the Novak Roland Garros week one movie. You know, I think Djokovic's Roland Garros, assuming, let's say, he can get to this, it's going to be like a tale of two di very different weeks. Well, I consider Davidovich Fakina, I've said this for a, for a bit now, the most talented player outside of the top 25. I just think he has unbelievable capabilities. I don't think he, he taps into those capabilities because of the, the mental side. I think that gets in the way. Like, I remember, it's interesting you talk about the best five. I remember he played a match... Uh, against Hercotch at, at Wimbledon, where, and I hope I'm remembering this perfectly, where he almost won in straight sets. He had set points to win in straight sets. He lost the set points, and he moped around the court for the next two hours. I mean, he did not play well at all and just didn't lock in. He, he was holding a funeral for the third set throughout the fourth set and, uh, and lost that one, and then it, it goes deep into a fifth uh, before he kind of rekindles his his focus uh and then i think i think he wins that match but then the next match he loses on a default he hits the ball he he loses on a ball abuse default this was wimbledon i think last year anyway uh just well, the slam handbook should be called something like 21 to 35. You, you can win you know, 21 sets. You got to win 21 sets, but you might end up playing 35. And I've talked to people, uh, John Newcomb won Wimbledon three times, has a whole, he could write a dissertation on the whole psychology and dynamic of playing these five setters and and how you manage your time and energy through one to the next. And again, I think some of this passion we like in certain kind of players can prove their undoing because you burn a lot of fuel being upset or volatile. And this is why Davis Cup 
when it used to be played that way, it was very exciting because that's one thing to do that over the course of a weekend, maybe one or two matches, but seven matches and the whole recovery, the whole just keeping yourself calm throughout so you can manage your energy because you can't keep playing these matches like these energy spikes. Speaking yeah. of that, so you said that you think, Gil, that ADF is the most talented player outside of the top 25. Is that right? Yep. What about Curios? <laughs> yeah, Nick's more talented. Uh, oh, okay. I, I yeah. got you on one. You did. You did. Maybe but, he has an unlisted, but he has an unlisted number. You know, no. Yeah. His ranking. <laughs> Fakina's more athletic. Yeah. So you know, but but yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, you got me, indeed. What about what do you think? Okay, we we talked about the first three rounds where we kind of have a good idea of who Novak is going to play. After that, it gets. You know, we know how draws work. Stuff happens. We don't know. But in general, Amy, you look at Rublev, you look at Hachinov, uh, you look at Bautista Gut and and Herkoch. These are some of the other seeded players uh, in Djokovic's quarter. What do you make of his quarter as a whole? It's not, in my view, the easiest quarter, um, but because there are some tricky spots, but it's doable. I think it's very favorable. Yeah, I agree. It's favorable because the it's there aren't any there aren't any new questions. The only the only seed who would ask new questions is the young Ben Shelton, who's on his first trip to Europe, and that would be that's I, I would love to see that match happen just for the sake of having it happen. But I think it, it's I, I'm not quite sure Shelton on his first trip to Roland Garros is quite there yet. But the other guys are all excellent players. But no, oh yeah, I know I know your deal. I know your deal. I'm gonna have to. You know, Hercotch, you're going to come up to net a lot, and I got to figure out a way to take down your forehand. Hatchinoff is extremely powerful and dangerous when he's playing well. I got to kind of just hang in there, weather the storm, and find the way. I mean, that's a these are great players. It's uh, Rublev, very familiar too. I mean, he's going to just bring his all to it. But again, they're not they're not new questions for Novak. They're just familiar. So then we'll see how how fit he is and how well he's navigated his way through those early matches. Yeah, I mean, the way the draw shook out, he could have had Pass in his quarter. He could have had Runa in his quarter. So simply put, to avoid those two players is a huge win. Uh, if you look at, at Rublev, he, uh, Rublev beat him on clay, and they're only meeting on clay in Belgrade. Novak was not really in, in great physical shape at that time. Uh, but since then, you think about the Australian Open match they played in the quarters, it was 6-1, 6-2, 6-4. Tour finals, it was 6-4, 6-1. Hachinov beat him in Bear C in 2018. And Novak has won seven since. I actually think that Hachinov might be able to do some interesting things if they do play in the quarterfinal, but we will uh we will put that the specifics of that on the back burner. Uh let's let's go to Nadal real quick, uh, because he did pull out of Wimbledon. Amy, do you have any any kind of new thoughts or, or insights on what the rest of this year looks like for Nadal? Because at this time, that's that's the big mystery is is could we see uh, a U.S. Open push or, or something of that sort? Because he hasn't ruled that out yet. The same source that told me that Rafa was not doing well heading into clay season. I circled back with that person. That person told me that one or two hardcourt tournaments 
and the U.S. Open are a very real possibility for Nadal this year. So um, when Rafa told everybody that next year might be my last year, that did not preclude him playing later this year. So that was the message that I got. Okay. Uh, the only thing that's that's great, the only thing I have to to add on to that is I wonder if the timing is such that if he's not ready to come back for the U.S. Open, then that's it for the year. Uh, is it worth playing post-U.S. Open or not? I would say likely not, but that's that's just my my gut feeling. So I almost feel like there's a race against the clock for the first week of September, honestly, uh, which is when the U.S. Open starts. Not a race against the clock for the end of December when the when the or, or sorry the start of December when the the tennis season ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that thinking, and I I wonder. Um... With Nadal, again, I don't see him just want to show up at the U.S. Open because I just think Nadal likes to play other tournaments. Another odd thought, and maybe you can run this by your source. Okay, physicality, ease on the body. How about some of those post-Wimbledon July European clay? Kitzbühel, Stad, Nadal's played those before. That might be kind of an interesting little toes in the water. Um, Also, later in the year, there's Davis Cup and... uh, what's going on with that. So yeah, there's some, we're going to have a lot of like Nadal speculation in the, in the weeks and months to come. We'll have to keep our eyes posted on the, on the practice tweets. To be clear, Rafa himself doesn't know because he's not healed yet. And he doesn't know when he is going to be a hundred percent. That's right. That's right. So that's, we'll see how he met. I think I'd be, I'd be least surprised if he doesn't play at all the rest of the year. I'd be most surprised what if that, he competes, that he competes and delighted, of course. I tend to agree with that. Again, especially because there's not much time. I, this is like the compressed. We don't have a good. It's funny because it feels like the tennis season is, I don't know, like 25% over. Not the case. It's more than that. Uh, just because of how these three majors are condensed in the in these in these summer months in the northern hemisphere, so I, I just don't think there's as much time as it feels like there is. That's kind of my my look just, at it. Just keep this in mind, and and this is I'm not speaking of anything that was told to me, or, or it's just my own opinion here. If Rafa wants to play one more year on tour and then retire. Um, he it doesn't necessarily have to be the calendar year. Um, you know, let's say that he gears himself up to play in 2024 and he's able to win Roland Garros maybe one more time, just hypothetically. Wouldn't that be a great way to to end your career? He'd probably retire <laughs> after that, right? Um, so wouldn't he then want to pl- have played the U.S. Open maybe one more time? A thought. In, in the retirement planning. Oh, you know, the whole retire- <laughs> retirement planning. Yeah, that's funny. That makes me think that some guy that um, some some financial planner should athletic retirement planning, you know, because there's a lot. Yeah. Murray has pulled out of Roland Garros because he probably wants to play Wimbledon. And where do you do this? And Leighton Hewitt did it in Australia. And uh, which one do I wish to best depart on? Roger did it at his own event. 
Um, so where do we where, where do we decide that we're going to land the plane? And, the, and it's unlike the team sports where you know they're going to have the, the end of the season where it is. Golly gee, I think though, I wonder how Nadal is thinking about having announced this because you know how many tournaments are now going to plan any tournament he plays are going to plan their Rafa ceremony. I mean, Edberg did this entire thing in 96 and regretted it. He announced it ahead of the year and every tournament was doing its whole. We love you, Stefan. And of course, every any tournament Dal plays is going to do that. So it becomes a whole, well, a farewell tour. And well, it's put it this way. Thing. Like if Rafa says that he's coming back for any part of the hard court season, I'm getting tickets. Well, no, it's a must view. Absolutely. No, it's great. It's fantastic. But it's just going to be interesting to see how he goes about managing those expectations and business and, and all those European clay tournaments that he's built tremendous relationships with. I mean, these tournaments that he's won double-digit at times. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. It, it it will be. Now, in the next two weeks, probably forget about him quite a bit, focusing on, on the tennis at RG. But uh, I'm glad we were able to get that, that talk in. And uh, we'll continue to track it and continue to cover uh, Roland Garros as we get underway here shortly can't wait that'll do it for this episode of three remember we're available on all podcast platforms we appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on apple and spotify and if you're watching on youtube like comment and subscribe we will see you next time on the next episode of three